All right, let's begin. Got some good news for you today, and hopefully um, this little series that I'm going through is giving you some insight into who we are as a church family. Um, but a number, I think it was just before Christmas, I started doing the ponderings, things that made me ponder. And I've got 10 memes and thoughts that made me ponder and think and pause this week. And these are them. And then we have a Henry Nouwen devotion. By the way, Jimmy Carter has just been, uh, uh, he's, he's at home now in hospice care. So uh, if you don't know that, he's 98. Holy smokes. Oldest living president of the United States. I have one life and one chance to make it count for something. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have to try to make a difference. And he has encouraged me over the years as a good man, at least the persona that he has put out um, building homes for Habitat Humanity and such, slugging a hammer at age 91, 92, 93, 94, just not stopping. So there are no excuses. I can't say I'm too old. <laughs> not a chance. So anyway, it's just, I thought, if you didn't know that about his mindset, um, that was really encouraging to me this week. Mr. Rogers, I watched him growing up. I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. That when we look for what's best in a person, we happen to be with, at that moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So, in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. That's worth thinking about and pondering. Every single person that's with you, to ponder and see them and appreciate them. Sometimes it's hard. Because you may not even like the person you're with at the moment. <laughs> but, but very good lesson. I love that. Jesus didn't heal people to attract crowds to meetings. Or to convince them to follow him. He healed them because he loved them. That's his nature. It still is. And I thought that's, that's a good thing to remember. Because in our culture, we, we see the opposite. We, people, we see people create events to draw people in, to grow something or have an ulterior motive of some kind. But Jesus just loved. And that's something we've been learning the last number of years. God is love. What does that mean? What does that mean for us as individuals? If Jesus isn't surprising you, there's a good chance you've stopped growing spiritually. <laughs> I like that one, personally. You may not, but that's okay. I do, because it's my ponderings and my pauses. Um, but surprising him, yes. I think, uh, I've been a minister now, in my th I'm in my 33rd year. And for the first 10 years, I knew everything. Yeah, because that's what Bible college does to you. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but about 20 years ago, I began unlearning and discovering a deeper, more hope-filled perspective on who God is, how to read the scriptures, how to understand the Trinity. And in the last 10 years, even more surprises. And even in the last year, still surprises, good ones. We're not done learning. There is no arrival. God's love is bigger than what you've been told and bigger than what you believe. Higher, farther, wider, deeper than anything you can imagine. So if you're with a, well, I understand God's love. I got that now. I'll move on to some good teaching. 
until you get love, there is no good teaching. It just isn't. It's just something you can do on your own otherwise. And that's, again, one thing we are learning here. Learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to that voice. I thought that was really good. Frank Viola is a great author. The church is not called to be an enforcer of rules, but an outpost of grace. <laughs> I love that. It just smarts. The, I love the sound of that. <clears throat> anyway, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love when I cannot feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent, written on the wall, on a wall during the Holocaust. There may be those who feel God's abandoned them, or they're trying to get closer to God, which is an illusion, by the way. And you may need to be reminded today, love is there. God is there. God's not absent. It's an impossibility. I thought that was quite profound. In the Gospels, Jesus is asked, asked 187 questions. He answers maybe eight of them. He himself asks 307. Maybe faith isn't about certainty, but learning to ask and sit in the complexity of good questions. That resonates with what I've been going through for the last 10 years, questioning all the answers that have been given to me. And uh, I love the idea of Jesus not answering every question. Sometimes he throws a parable in there which confuses them even more. (laughs) It's like, okay, we need to learn that about Jesus. Because sometimes people ask us questions about who we think God is or what we believe, and we think we have to give this articulate great answer. You don't. Who told you that? Well, the Bible says plainly I gotta be ready to speak and, you know, give, speak to the foundation of my faith. And wait a minute, that's not what that's referring to. In a culture that is about being right and wrong, answers about right and wrong don't answer the heart of the real question. Think about that. Once upon a time, I believed suggestions of biblical error or evidence of metaphor or literary art were grave threats to the foundation of my faith. When I finally learned that God is far too big to be contained in a book, and when I allowed myself to see the beauty of the Bible as it was written and meant to be read, I felt the earth move under my faith. But instead of breaking the foundation, my faith shattered its mold and transformed into a conduit between my heart and heaven. (laughs) We have much to learn on how to read our scriptures or the translation of the scriptures you currently have or the style you have. It's not a black and white thing, as many think it is. As soon as somebody says, the Bible plainly says, put up your red flag and go, hang on a minute. It only says it plainly to you. We read it through our own culture. We read it through our own context. We read it through everything we've been told. But we have an earth filled with seven billion people different perspectives and histories. We have church histories we've not been exposed to yet. And that's when the awakening happens. That's when the mystery 
becomes welcomed instead of certainty. I love it. Spiritual community should make a space for doubt, for uncertainty, or for even active unbelief because whoever and whatever God is isn't threatened by those things. Only insecure people are. Ouch. I love that one. Now that, the guy who wrote that, he's, he's got some strong things he says and teaches, and I like a lot of it. Some things I go, it's a bit, I don't know, but so what? I love this idea of welcoming questions and allowing people to not believe, and not believe the way you do. It matters. Otherwise, we're only going to align with people that agree with us, and how can you possibly learn? This is the last one. This is from a book, and I don't even know the title of the book, but I thought this was really good. I'm, I've reached out to the person who posted it to ask which book it's from, but so what? It's still really good. Final question, how does a good father care for, protect, and provide for his children? As parents and grandparents, <coughs> we understand his love a bit. Our love for our children and grandchildren is a little insight a little insight into his love for us as his offspring, as those who bear his image and likeness and carry his DNA. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Must be a southern author. (laughs) Everyone is his offspring. No one is outside that circle. There is one God and Father of all. God is not just our creator. He's the father of all humanity and takes responsibility for everybody. He takes care of all those that he brought into the earth. Now that could rub somebody the wrong way because Now you have the yeah, but, what about questions. Well, I'm not here to deal with all the yeah, but, what abouts because I've heard all the yeah, but, what about questions and that's all I've been eating from for most of my life. Now I've found other scriptures that nobody did ask about, like the all verses. I like Paul the apostle when he was in Mars Hill speaking of this altar to the unknown God, because they just had to make sure they covered all their bases. He says, you are all children of God. We are all children of God. And then he says, even as your poets say, there was a belief already in their mythical thinking that we're all children of God somehow. Hmm. It has nothing to do with belief. When we believe, that's when things change for our benefit. We begin to experience the love of this God. But I thought that, uh, it's been a busy week of pondering this week. So I hope you enjoyed those. Time for a really, really good devotional from Henry Now. And I've got two short ones that I think are really, really good. A new way to be human. How do you like that? <laughs> the love of God is an unconditional love. And only that love can empower us to live together without violence. When we know that God loves us deeply 
and will always go on loving us, whoever we are and whatever we do, ooh, that's a big one, whatever we do, really, it becomes possible to expect no more of our fellow men and women that they are able to give, to forgive them generously when they have offended us, and always to respond to their hostility with love. That one's really hard to do. By doing so, we make visible a new way of being human and a new way of responding to our world problems. Hmm. Lastly, love deeply. Do not hesitate to love and to love deeply. You might be afraid of the pain that deep love can cause. When those you love deeply reject you, leave you, or even die, your heart will be broken. But that should not hold you back from loving deeply. The pain that comes from deep love makes your love even more fruitful. It's like a plow that breaks the ground to allow the seed to take root and grow into a strong plant. Every time you experience the pain of rejection, absence, or death, you are faced with a choice. You can become bitter and decide not to love again, or you can stand straight in your pain and let the soil on which you stand become richer and more able to give life to new seeds. I couldn't just give you one. Both were really important. And maybe what I'm going to share next will be meaningless to you, and you've already heard enough to make your heart ponder today. And I celebrate that. But that's not going to stop me for the next little bit. (laughs) A church with hope. Part three, the distinctives. What makes Hope Fellowship unique? I'm not going to repeat everything last, from last week, but we did talk about our vision, who we are as a church, and the reason I'm sharing this is because we've had some new folks come, and we've had members that have, it's been years since they've heard what is our purpose and our vision, our direction, what do we value? And to be reminded of this, it's like, okay, yeah, this is my church. Or you may come to a place and go, this is not my church anymore, and you need to move on. That's fine. It's not our church. We've made that really clear. Our vision is to be a healed and whole people who are free to be themselves in Christ. This is not about what we do. This is about who we are and living from our true identity. That's the core of Hope Fellowship. Bottom line. Our mission is to help people understand, believe, and experience the love of God. Well, where's the to-do list in the programs? It's not in there. It's about you learning to understand and experience the love of God. Pretty cool. Lastly, our values. Not lastly, but because next week I'm getting into something else, but I'll tell you at the end. The things we've come to value. When our leadership team met a couple years ago, we wanted to honor some key thoughts and mindsets that have shaped us, because we're still being shaped. We're not done being shaped as a church. This is Hope Fellowship. Whoever is drawn to this little church, great. Fantastic. There are other great churches out there. Each one has different value. Each one's doing something different. And the reasons people go are for their own reasons. But to know what's kind of been bubbling here, I thought would be really important. We accept people freely and openly. That's kind of what we've 
And again, this comes from a survey, what you have told us, how people have felt coming here. Oops, uh-oh, uh-oh, okay. We're authentic in who we are and how we relate to each other. Authenticity is really important. We don't do fake very well. And fake gets sorted out pretty quick. You can smell it a mile away now. Oh, that's going to happen the whole time, darn. Okay, freedom from religiosity. What does that mean? Well, you laugh. I, I didn't catch it. Oops. Uh, religiosity. The idea that we, we speak in Christianese. Are you saved? Uh, bless you. Yes, and we use terminology that's so... Now, some people may still use it. It's fine. It's, just, it's not real language. Not for every day, how you doing, right? Uh, we don't make sure everybody fits the mold of churchianity in the language of the inside club. We're trying to unlearn the club language. That's why I share so many different translations with you. Some of my favorites are the First Nations translation, the Mirror Bible, Passion Translation, and such. Having all these translations changes the wording so that when people are stuck in King James, no, sorry if you like King James, it's fine. I grew up with it, and I grew up with the New American Standard. But people quote and talk King James as if they have the Bible stuck in their throat right there. And it's all, thou willest be us, and all that stuff with it. Like, is there value to it? Yes. But you got to remember, those translations, especially King James, if you read the preface, it says this Bible was translated so that the people of this day could understand it in their language. Okay? Really important you catch that. And if you read the preface of all the other translations, it's going to be similar. Because language changes. Words change. Meanings of words change. And if you are in a bubble and don't believe it does, guess what? Your English translation was translated from another language. So yes, it changes. Okay? So religiosity. Uh-oh. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. We have great respect for the truth of the Bible. Some of you may think we're, we're dissing the scriptures and saying, wait a minute, are you trying to say some of it's not true? No, we're not saying that. We have a great respect for the scriptures. We're going to be careful with how we frame it and the terminology we use. There is dividing terminology of how we speak of the scriptures. I'm unlearning that terminology, especially if it's only 100 or 200 years old. Terminology. That's for another sermon. I'm not getting into that one. We're aware that the grace of God is the single greatest uniqueness of Christianity. The grace of God. What is grace? Well, that's a great question. I used to know. <laughs> the simplest response to grace and the definition of grace is grace is a person named Jesus. Jesus is grace personified. That's the simplest. Um, we talked about mercy and grace at one point. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So you get pulled over for a ticket and the cop doesn't give you a ticket, then that's mercy. But if a cop gives you a Tim Hortons gift card of 50 bucks, that's grace. <laughs> Getting what you don't deserve. Just a quick, cute way to see the words. It's going to drive me nuts. The love of God is what lubricates our human relationships. This was uh, framed by, I believe, um, Nancy Premier's son used this word. Pardon? Daniel. 
Um, but the word of lubrication, your engines need lubrication or they will die. Found that out one time with a car that didn't have oil. And a sudden stop. <laughs> Oops, you need that. And we're learning that it's the love of God that is supposed to be what keeps us connected and helps heal friction. If you don't have oil in your engine, you're gonna have friction, it's gonna, you're gonna have shards and then boom, it's gonna go. I had a, an engine problem which was covered under warranty, thank goodness, but there were all kinds of shards of metal in my oil pan for years of something not being right. In our relationships with each other, we're not gonna get it always right. We're gonna have conflicts with one another, but the more we understand the love of God, boy, we're gonna become a little more gracious and compassionate and empathetic to one another. You're not gonna get it always right. We're not saying we will, but there's hope. Allowing people to discover the love of God which transforms hearts and motivates actions. The idea of allowing people to discover. We can't tell people what to believe. The church can never tell you what to believe. All the, the church can do, which is you and me, by the way, not the minister, you and me, we are the church. All we can do is live and lead by some example, good and bad, challenge other perspectives to understand these scriptures so that we will discover the love of God. If whatever you're learning isn't making God bigger and better, I would challenge what you're learning. That's, Bruce Walkup said that in one of his talks probably 10 years ago when I got blindsided by another level of grace that was even deeper. It's like, oh my goodness. If it doesn't make God bigger and better, what inspires us? Well, Rod shared this when he was talking about the history of our church. That's a couple of weeks ago. So if you, you, if you want to catch up, go back and watch the last two messages because we give a little bit of the history. But this verse was one of the foundation verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a beautiful verse. There's a good way to read it and a bad way to read it. The bad way to read it is see, it says, and you make it and port that and make a claim on it. I'm gonna claim that verse. Where does that even come from? That's a newer terminology in the last 100 years, 150 years of claiming a verse. And therefore God must. It's like your, it's like your, uh, um, your ace in your hand ready to win something or what's, what's a card in cribbage that's really good? Anything that's a 10, right? <laughs> so it's your, ha ha, God's got to now. No, God doesn't got to. But in that, that, people use verses to clobber people. You can make it say anything. But a good way to read this verse, for whoever wrote this, this was a positive lens that mattered. This is where the writer seemed to have gotten it right. Where God is declaring, I know the plans. I'm, I'm not here to harm you. What parent does that? Somebody who does not love. P parents harm their kids, but not a loving parent. Something has gone wrong. Darkness has blinded somebody. 
So your heavenly father who is light and love desires good things for you. Does that mean everything you're going to get is going to prosper? I'm going to be now prosperous, rich and all that stuff. No, it's not what this is talking about. This is about giving you a hope that somebody who is love is walking with you. That's inspiring to me. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Screenshot this and look up all these verses. These are going to be in the membership manual. Um, but you want to take a look at an old covenant. By the way, if you don't know about old and new covenant, we're going to talk about that next week because that was one of the distinctives that we've been growing in. Um, but this idea of Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was the first blunt presentation that Paul gave. Say, like Christ in you, this mystery has now been solved. I don't know if you remember when Paul was saying it was God was gracious to him that he revealed Christ, he didn't say to him, he said what? God revealed Christ in me. He peeled back the layer and said, see, Christ in you. Well, that threw Paul off. Hence, we have this richness of Christ in us. I prayed with a dying woman yesterday. And I spoke hope of a good God she's going to meet. That she is loved, fully valued, and Christ lived in her. <laughs> that was so cool. She died a few hours later. Christ in you. This, this inspires me. I didn't know Christ was in me. I thought he was with me. And when I'm bad... He's not near me. When I'm good, he's near me. I was told as a teenager, when you go into a bar, Jesus has to wait outside. <laughs> I think if you go to a bar, Jesus comes in and orders water. Get it? Okay, thank you. Turn, to, turn it to wine. Come on, people. So serious this morning. Our logo. This is really important. I love this logo. This to me, if, you're, if you need a reminder of who, who Hope Fellowship is, there's the logo. The seed, the sapling, and the tree. The seed, the sapling, and the tree. Your community church. It's our community church. It's not mine. It's not the board of directors of Hope Fellowship. This is your community church. It becomes what we make it based on who's here and the passions that are here. It comes from this verse, these verses, in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. I love, love, love this. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. 
Huh, how does this fit a logo? Quite easy. I speak to you children, the seed. Let's see what it says about children first. Because your sins have been forgiven. If you don't know your sins are forgiven, you're clearly an infancy in your faith. You think you may know a lot of stuff in theology, but that's the child level. That your sins are forgiven. What else does it say about children? Right here, because you know the Father. Do you know your lineage? Do you know your history? Do you know your DNA? Do you know who your father is? Do you know your identity? (laughs) That's what the seed is for. So what about the sapling? This is called growing up. Well, let's see what it says about the young. To those who are young in the faith because you are strong, God's word lives in your hearts and you've won your battle with the evil one. So there's a wrestling going on. How many have raised teenagers? If you're teenagers, plug your ears, sorry. (laughs) You've raised teenagers. Have you been a teenager? As a teenager, you know it all, okay? You no longer go to mom and dad for advice because you know more than they do, clearly. But you also have ups and downs. You have hormones going nuts, and you're really happy in one minute, and then 20 minutes later, what is going on with you? Don't ask me. They get all upset. It's like, holy smokes, how can we possibly keep on top of what's going on with all these changes in our lives? And Say no more. You got it. That's what it's like for us growing in that young adult stage. You may get tossed and blown. You may hear new things, bad things. Your pendulum may swing too far to the wrong theology, if you want to call it that, and then way too far on a looks right, but man, that's really over the top. Who is in charge of your spiritual growth, really? The Holy Spirit, who is big enough to draw you back from crazy wacko stuff to, wait a minute, that's too strict and serious? Like, the Holy Spirit is big enough to walk with you through all those changes. It's beautiful. It says the word of God lives in your hearts. I think it, oops. And then up here it says, I'm writing to you, young in the faith, because you've won your battle with the evil one. So this idea of the word of God living in our hearts is not the Bible. What? No, it's Jesus. He is the word of God. Big difference. And I love this father or adult stage. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. Next one says, um, to those who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who has existed from the beginning. So if you read the book of John, it begins with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. John is speaking of this. This is the maturity, and you you have a tree going on like that. A little seed, it can get damaged quickly. It needs to be cared for and protected. A seedling, a sapling, same thing. It kind of, the wind comes, and it can go all over the place and look pretty crazy on a stormy day. But the tree is solid, gives Shade and protection. Oh, 
and it spreads more seeds. Hmm. Funny how that works. We're called to grow up into Christ. That's what this, that's what this logo is for. To grow up into Christ. To become fully formed in Christ. That does not mean your theology is fully formed because it's still growing and changing and you're learning. But to discover Jesus as your source of life and your source of wisdom and the source of your maturity and understanding. And it's going to be different than the person sitting beside you. They may look the same, but they may not at all. And yet, Christ is growing that person. Depends where you are. This is not about you know, which stage are you at, because I believe, after all these years, you can have seed faith on a whole bunch of categories, but have really solid faith and belief in others that this ain't shaking, this is, this is staying. And then you're still wishy-washy, learning, unlearning. So how does that look? I don't know, but I don't want to give you a formula. That's why I'm telling you this. Otherwise, oh, I want to do this, 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 then I'll become. I used to do the 10 steps how to become spiritually mature, or 10 steps to freedom, or 12 steps to that, and so on, so on. Steps can be helpful for nurturing somebody who needs that, but we're designed to live in Christ. Next week, we're going to get into the beliefs and theological shifts we have made and are still making. We'll do that next week. But that should give you a good snapshot of who is Hope Fellowship? What are we about? And it's a safe place to grow and learn and ask questions and no one person has all the answers. I promise you that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may your grace in us Grow us up. Nudge us in the directions we need to go. Be the motivation that we need when we don't feel very motivated. And be the strength to walk through those challenges and thoughts and processes we need to do. May we also be kind to another. Show love. Be love. Even when it's really difficult. Thank you, Father. Amen.